You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, in our last lecture, we began to discuss Isaiah chapter 56. We barely even started. So we've got a lot to talk about. Let's go ahead and start once again at verse 1. Thus says Yahweh, keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing evil. Now, when we're talking about the blessed man, we refer to the true man, ultimately the second Adam. That, of course, is the incarnate one, the eternal Logos who becomes flesh. The one who redoes what we have undone, he puts it back together again. You see, he is the true man, the one who has no sin. And when we are being renewed and restored and regenerated and made into the image of this son of man, we begin to do as he does. We begin to keep justice and do righteousness. And we are blessed in him, and we hold the Sabbath day holy. Again, recall that the Sabbath day itself is a day that's set aside for the hearing of God's word. Now, originally, when God instituted the Sabbath day, it was that seventh day in which God had rested from his work of creation. And therefore, the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, they were to rest on the seventh day. They were to rest from their labors, for they were slaves and they worked under the hardship of Pharaoh. But on that seventh day, they were to rest just like in the beginning. On the seventh day, God rested after working, that is, after creating for six days. But in particular, this Sabbath day, this day of rest, is a time in which we hear God's word and we are assured that God himself is the one who makes us holy. For you see, this is what the Sabbath keeping is all about, is hearing that word of God, the word of God that makes us holy. Here in this passage, we are told that the blessed man, the one who is blessed, is the one who keeps the Sabbath, who keeps justice, who does righteousness. Of course, that is for the purpose of serving neighbor. Now, this whole understanding of keeping Sabbaths We have a contrast throughout the book of Isaiah of the Sabbath that Yahweh himself has instituted versus these man-made Sabbaths. Now, recall with me in chapter 1, you see this contrast very clearly. It is seen in the manifestation of false worship. 
Now again, false worship is not the worship in and of itself of idols, of statues, that is. But instead, it is a man-made system of worship, a man-made method of becoming holy. Thus, it is worship without God's word. Therefore, God did not institute it, and God does not put his promises with it. Now, back in Isaiah chapter 1, you have this contrast in which Yahweh says, Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Now you see a contrast here. That in the keeping of the Sabbaths that these people of God were doing, they were not hearing God's word. They were not looking to God. They were not looking after the well-being of their neighbor. Instead, there is oppression. The fatherless and the widows, they are being hurt. They are being harmed. And thus, the Lord calls them to repent, to learn to do good and to seek justice. And so here's a contrast. Their Sabbaths, which they do not listen to God's word. But God's Sabbath is where God speaks. And God teaches, God instructs, and God brings rest. Therefore, we see that the book of Isaiah opens with the false worship of the people of God. The people of God who refuse to hear the voice of God. And therefore, in turn, God refuses to hear the voice of their prayers. But by the time we get to Isaiah 56, now we're talking about the righteous remnant. Those who begin to hear and rejoice in the voice of God. These are ones who are beginning to keep justice, beginning to do righteousness, who are blessed in Christ, of course, who comes to redeem and to save the lost. The one who comes to give to us the true Sabbath day rest. Now, ultimately, that institution of the Sabbath is a picture and pointing toward the person and work of Christ. Remember, back in Exodus chapter 31, when the Lord spoke to Moses about the Sabbath, he says, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, Yahweh, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. 
Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to Yahweh. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations, as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel, that in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now again, notice that in the book of Exodus here, at this point where the Lord is instructing, giving us the Torah, the instruction of God, he is explaining to us the Sabbath, that we are to keep the Sabbath, for it is the Lord himself who makes us holy. He alone is holy. He alone can sanctify us. And he alone is the one who can give us rest. When the prophet Isaiah came to the people of God, they were not looking for rest and righteousness and sanctification to be found in Yahweh. They did not seek justice for the oppressed or help and benefit the poor, the orphans, and the widows. Instead, all they did was help themselves. All they did was hear the words they wanted to hear, that everything was okay with their soul. They did not want to hear about their sin and about how they had fallen away from God, the one who is life, that they had resisted and refused to listen to God, but rather preferred the darkness. Now, when the Lord institutes the Sabbath, it is a time in which we are to gather and we are to hear the word of God, that we are to rejoice in God's voice. And then, of course, in response, we are to pray, praise, and give thanks with our voices, that we are to hear the word of God, and he hears us as we proclaim the wonderful things he has done to sanctify us. That is, that he is the one who makes us holy. Now, notice the connection in the institution of the Sabbath is twofold. The first and primarily, it goes back to that work of creation, that God worked And he created in six days, but on the seventh day he had rested from the work that he had done, and he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And also, secondarily, not only do we have the connection to God's work in creation, we also have the connection to God's work in redemption. The Israelites were in captivity and slavery. They were being oppressed by Pharaoh. Thus, when they rest, they are to look to the needs of others. Of course, as they were oppressed and they were delivered from their oppression, they were to make sure that they began to act in the way of the new creation, that they were not like Pharaoh in the kingdoms of this earth, in which the widows and the orphans were oppressed and the poor were neglected. Instead, in the new creation, they were to love each other as God had loved them. Now, ultimately, this work of creation and redemption points to the person and work of Christ, the one who comes to redeem us and restore us, recreating us, bringing forth that new heavens and the new earth. You see, Jesus himself is the one who truly gives us rest. He's the one who recreates us, 
and makes us holy. He's the one who redeems us from slavery and oppression of the devil. In the New Testament, we understand that Jesus is the reality of this shadow, of this picture. Jesus is the fulfillment. For instance, in Colossians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That rest that we receive on the Sabbath in the Old Testament from physical and manual labor points forth the spiritual reality that we have in Jesus, who says to us, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is the one who invites us to come to him so that we may have rest for our souls. Jesus says that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. In fact, notice that Jesus will heal on the Sabbath. He will restore fallen creation on the Sabbath. In particular, in John chapter 5, remember that he heals that man who was paralytic, the man who was unable to walk on his own. Jesus comes and heals the lame man. And it's at that point that Jesus is scrutinized. Instead of rejoicing that one of their own people has now been healed, that his legs that were supposed to walk as they were originally created to do, but were unable to do because of fallen creation, instead of rejoicing that this man who was lame now walks, instead they look at Jesus and they want to put him to death. That this becomes one of the sticking points of Jesus. How dare Jesus They claimed that Jesus was a sinner because he did not rest on the Sabbath. Yet in John chapter 5, Jesus responds to them saying, My father is working until now, and I am working. And John notes that this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father making himself equal with God. Now take note how many times in the gospel accounts we have an incident where Jesus is healing on the Sabbath and the Pharisees are watching him. You see, they're always looking for a reason to prove in their own eyes that he is not the Messiah. They're always trying to find sin in him. But especially notice it's the sin of of transgressing and breaking the Sabbath, of not resting, but instead working. But this is precisely what Jesus comes to do as the Lord of the Sabbath. He comes to give rest to the soul. He comes to restore creation. This is recreation. Again, in six days, God created everything. And so now on the Sabbath, when we rest, 
God is restoring us. He's renewing us. He is regenerating us. Notice that Jesus heals to show that he's bringing the new creation. Healing those arms or those eyes or ears or mouths that do not work like they should have before sin came in and entered into this fallen creation. And so constantly Jesus is questioning those who are scrutinizing against him. And he'll ask, like in Luke chapter 6, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Notice how Jesus is constantly responding to the lawyers and the Pharisees. Again, with these questions, so is it lawful to heal or not? And notice that these conversations also center in the idea that Jesus will teach and say, we all know that if an animal falls into a well or a pit on a Sabbath, that everybody's okay with that individual who owns the animal going to rescue it, going to prevent it from dying, to help it. But yet when Jesus helps and he heals, they want to say that Jesus is sinning. I mean, notice even the fact that when Jesus is on the Sabbath once and his disciples and they eat the grain, they make bread, according to the Pharisees, and they say they're transgressing the Sabbath because they've taken grain off of the wheat. Well, notice that bread itself preserves life. That Jesus heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, restoring life. At one point, he releases a woman from a disabling spirit on the Sabbath, giving her rest, both physically and spiritually. And of course, there's also the account of Jesus healing a man with dropsy on the Sabbath. For he's the one who comes to restore creation. He is God himself, the one who creates and sanctifies, the one who redeems and recreates. Now let's go back to Isaiah chapter 56, picking up at verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to Yahweh say, Yahweh will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree, for thus says Yahweh to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now, when Martin Luther, the blessed reformer, is lecturing on this passage, he wants to take note of the negative word not the importance of this word. In fact, Luther wants to write it in gold letters. For Luther, anytime there's a word of comfort, a special word that comes to us to assure us of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, mercy and love that comes from God, this is always to be a word written in gold letters. So in this passage, the word not should be in gold letters. Now, it seems kind of strange to have a negative word, a negating word, be good. I mean, usually when we think of the word not or no, we think of something that is bad. But understand the context. Let 
not the foreigner who has joined himself to Yahweh say. And then at the other end, let not the eunuch say. Now again, when we're talking about the eunuch and a foreigner, we're talking about those who have been joined to Yahweh. We are talking about comfort to the converted Gentile. Here, the foreigner has been joined to Yahweh. Now, we know that a foreigner, of course, is an idolater. They do not have the true God. They do not have the word of God. They are separated from the people of God, life and salvation that are promised in the words of the Messiah. Yet in this passage, we are talking about a converted foreigner who has been joined to Yahweh. We are talking about a converted eunuch of the Gentiles who has now been joined to Yahweh. Therefore, understand the context. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to Yahweh say, Yahweh will surely separate me from this people. Now understand, this is a matter of the conscience, that the conscience becomes very concerned. Remember, the devil loves to cause trouble with the conscience. So a foreigner who has been converted, who has been joined to Yahweh, is going to have these issues of conscience, saying, well, I wasn't really part of God's people. And then the conscience kind of feels as if Yahweh is going to separate me from his people. But hear this word of comfort, let not the foreigner who has been joined to Yahweh say these things. So don't say these things. Don't have these doubts. Do not be tempted by the tempter to think that Yahweh will cast you off because you are not of one of the tribes of Israel. In other words, turn this around, the negating. So he would say, surely Yahweh will separate me from this people. So you say the opposite. Surely Yahweh will not separate me from this people. Now, same thing with the eunuch. The eunuch, understand, is one who will not have children. He will not have offspring. It is in the word of God that we are taught that children are a blessing from God. Now, the eunuch will not have this visible blessing. He will not have these children to show forth the wonderful love of God and favor toward him and giving him the gift of offspring, which, of course, comes from God. Thus, the eunuch is like a dry tree. That is, he's not fruitful. He has no fruit. He has no children. Now, these are Gentile converts, both the eunuch and the foreigner in this context here. Now, the eunuch then doesn't have this gift from God, which, of course, is promised in the covenant that God has made with the sons of Israel. So, for instance, in Psalm 127, Behold, children are a heritage from Yahweh, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Now, the eunuch, who is like a dry tree, will not be able to look upon this heritage, these gifts from God. He would have a quiver that is empty. Of course, the people of God took great pride in the number of children that they had, which is countercultural to our modern world that doesn't like the idea of having many children. 
But yet in those days, the understanding biblically, scripturally, is that children are a blessing from God. It's a good thing to have a quiver filled with these children that come from God. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Thus, the Israelites took great pride in the number of children they had. After all, it was promised in the covenant. On the flip side, of course, there was also the threat of curses that came from breaking the covenant. Instead of having children, you would have none at all. The wombs would not produce and have fruit, but they would become dry and barren. They would be like a dry tree with no fruit. And we'll see this, for example, in the prophet Hosea. When Hosea is speaking harsh law against the people of Israel, because they have broken God's covenant, they have refused to listen to his voice, and they resist the work of the Holy Spirit. Thus, Hosea the prophet was sent so that they could hear the word of God and they would repent and come back to God so that God could convert them back to faith, reconvert their hearts, turning them back again to the face of God. Thus, the prophet speaks with a very harsh, threatening word, saying, Ephraim's glory shall fly away like a bird, no birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they bring up children, I will bereave them until none is left. Woe to them when I depart from them. Ephraim, as I have seen, was like a young palm planted in a meadow. But Ephraim must lead his children out to slaughter. Give them, O Yahweh, what you will give. Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. Now understand that this is in Hosea chapter 9 with a very harsh word of curse and condemnation because the people of God have turned away from the living God. They refuse to listen to his voice and instead they have gone after false lovers. And instead of receiving a blessing from their false worship, they will receive a curse, breaking the covenant with God. Therefore, they would be just like the eunuch, the Gentile, the foreigner, who is a dry tree with no children, no fruit, and no blessing. But going back to Isaiah 56, what we have is a word of comfort to the converted foreigner, converted eunuch, who looks at his own life and says, I cannot have children, I do not have children, and I will not have children. Therefore, let such a eunuch who has been converted, let him not say that I am a dry tree. Instead, hear the word of Yahweh, who speaks tenderly to the eunuchs who do keep his Sabbaths. Now, notice that contrast. You had those who were the people of God, who had the word of God, but yet did not listen to God's word. That is, they did not keep his Sabbath. But you have this contrasted with a eunuch, those who are not God's people, without God's word, but yet now they've been converted. Now they keep the Sabbath and they rejoice in the voice of God. To such a eunuch who has been converted, let him not say, I am a dry tree. Instead, let him listen to the words of comfort. 
in which God says to the eunuch who keep his Sabbaths, You choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. To the converted eunuch, I will give them a name, an everlasting name that shall not be cut off, so that they would be oaks of righteousness, the planting of Yahweh, that he may be glorified in them. Of course, that's a terminology that God will use later on in Isaiah 61. So let not the eunuch say, I am a dry tree with no fruit. Instead, let the eunuch rejoice in the voice of God and say, I am an oak of righteousness planted by Yahweh himself. Now in Acts chapter 8, we have an example of a eunuch who was converted to the faith when he was reading the scroll of Isaiah. Chapter 53. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. Now it's Philip who comes and opens his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, tells the eunuch the good news about Jesus. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.